Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, James, how are you today? I'm well, Scott. How are you? So excited about our day. We're jumping up and down. Yeah, anytime you can talk about taxes and new tax law, it's just super exciting. Well, I was talking about subscribers or listens. Oh, that first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That actually is an exciting thing. <laughs> <laughs> so we just hit, for all of our listeners, 10,000 uh, downloads, I should say, unique downloads, and just wanted to start before we jump into the Secure Act. Yeah. Saying thank you. Absolutely. We Thanks, love guys. getting to, to talk to each other. And have people listen to us. So thanks to all our listeners. If you have not subscribed or have not liked it yet, uh, tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone to give us a good rating and keep listening. Yeah. And we really appreciate it. Smash that like button. Give us us a review. Um, We know it's actually been a ton of fun getting to talk uh, with you about all these questions that we commonly hear. The most exciting part to me is that people are submitting questions. Yeah. Yeah. And we get to answer them. Yeah, no, it's it's awesome because this that's what it's designed for is like let's help people understand their finances, speak as plainly as we can about it, um, and yeah, hopefully help you guys understand the financial landscape a little bit more so that you can put action into place and you know go live a great life. Yeah, love it. Yeah. And this one, this is not a, a listener question, but this is something that's recently changed. It's a recent tax law change. We thought it'd be a good time to just give a general update. Yeah, absolutely. So in December, mid-December, um, Congress passed a new law. Uh, it's called Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement Act of 2019, also called the SECURE Act. Don't you love those corny abbreviations? Yes, you hear Secure Act, and then you see what it actually stands for, like, oh, gosh. Yeah. But let's talk about it. What's, uh, what, what are some of the changes with the Secure Act of 2019? Because it was, it was, this was a pretty big deal. Like, this hasn't happened in several years, and some major things changed, not all in yep. a major way, but I think it's important to know what those updates are. Yeah, so they changed some rules, which are kind of, which from a planning standpoint, we're like, yay, that's really beneficial for our clients. And then there are other things where we're kind of like, boo, that's not so beneficial for our clients. Mm-hmm. Um, but they always have to equalize the or they try to equalize the tax impact so that's why that occurs but yeah let's let's chat through the big changes that we saw and um you know luckily for us we didn't have to go read the entire document um there were a few amazing people in our industry who were geeking out on it um who know taxes far more than we do so you want to give any shout out for the for the baseline, yeah. Shout out to Scott Frank, who knows taxes better than anyone. Um, That's so not true. <laughs> we got a lot of this from Jeff Levine, Jeff uh, Levine, Michael exactly. Kitsis. Yeah, a lot of a lot of great people in the industry that kind of distilled down a big complex law, not even a complex, just a long law. Yeah. Into the simple takeaways that we're going to kind of list off here. Yep. So, like uh, Jeff Levine's always my go-to source when it comes to taxes and financial planning together. Um, I was I was joking on Twitter the other day that he is where um, taxes and financial planning collide. 
Like he knows, he knows it. his stuff. Yeah. And he actually makes it interesting. Um, so if you ever want to geek out in depth, just go search Jeff Levine and read his articles. Yeah. Um, okay. So starting out, probably the biggest change that we saw from this new tax code is the age that you're forced to take money out of retirement accounts. Yeah, there's some changes with required minimum distributions or RMDs as people, uh, as you, to shorten it. Yep. And the, the biggest one is previously, if you were 70 and a half or the year that you turned 70 and a half, you had to start taking your required distribution from a pre-tax IRA or 401k. What this law did is it pushed it back to age 72. Mm-hmm. So not a huge difference, but it pushed it back a year and a half and Maybe the biggest thing was there's not a half year. That's kind of weird to track. What year yeah. do you turn 70 and a half? Why not just track? Mm-hmm. 72 is a lot more easy. Yep, absolutely. So if you turned 70 and a half before this rule went into effect, nothing changes for you. Mm-hmm. If you weren't 70 and a half yet at the beginning of 2020, um, rule changed. Yep. You get to go until age 72, which the, the planning benefit there. Um, there are a lot of there's a lot of benefits in the way that you withdraw money from different types of accounts and different portfolios, delaying social security. We've talked about that before. Um, makes that even more impactful now because mm-hmm. now you get to delay your bene- your withdrawals from IRAs until you hit age seventy two. Yeah, and if you've done a good job saving to your four hundred one ks and IRAs over the years, and you have a large account balance, and you turn seventy and a half. Well, you have to start taking large amounts out as required distribution. So now right. that's pushed back a little bit by a year and a half so that um, if you are that person, you have a couple more years of tax strategy that you can implement before yep. those start. And just to clarify, in case anyone ever missed, doesn't know what required minimum distribution actually means, what it means is all of your retirement accounts, um, once you are fully retired, you're no longer working, at the end of the year, the, you just look at what's your total balance – and then the government gives us this number that you have to that you use as a denominator. So your account balance is the numerator. Your factor is what they give you as your denominator. You divide your amount by the, the factor. You get the amount you have to take out. That's why it's called a required minimum distribution. Yeah. Um, and so you know, just know that's what it is, and you do have to take money out if you have qualified accounts. Exactly. So pre-tax accounts. Okay, so given that, anything else you want to say about that? Um, other RMD changes, but not... Uh, well, let's let's talk about it. So this, I guess this isn't really RMDs for you, but if you pass away... So if I pass away and I have an IRA, the person who inherits it, if it's not my spouse, yeah. they have to begin taking RMDs immediately, even if they're not yet 70 and a half or now 72. 72. Okay. So there's been some changes with non-spouse inherited IRAs. In the past, if I were to inherit an IRA, say from a parent or something, mm-hmm. I could then take required distributions over the course of my lifetime. Oh, okay. So I think what you're saying is uh, what 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 you're saying there, James, is if your dad passes away, mm-hmm. and even though you're way under seventy and a half years mm-hmm. old, um, when you get that money. The government used to say, hey, James, you can take this in one of two ways. You can either take all the money out within five years mm-hmm. is one option, or you can take the money out by taking a little bit out based on your required minimum distribution for the rest of your life. Correct. Okay. Correct. And that just changed. That's now changed. So where in the past, if I lived for another 60 years and I inherited an IRA from my dad, let's say, I could take that out over the course mm-hmm. of the next 60 years. So spread out the tax impact, let that money keep growing tax deferred. Yeah. Now what's happened, though, is I must fully distribute the the entirety of that 
within 10 years after inheriting it. Yeah, so they sh- they they doubled the length of that 5-year requirement, but they took away the the kind of the uniform the life table, IRA the stretch provision, IRA is yes. gone for non-spouses. For a spouse, still exists. For a spouse, it still exists. So if, you know, if, if my spouse were to pass away and I inherit her IRA, I still could treat that like my own. And, and right. I could wait until 72 like, exactly. to take that. Okay, cool. So basically, uh, non-spouse IRAs, 10 years now instead of the five or the choice of the stretch. Mm-hmm. And then um, the other thing is, if you're a child who's not age of majority, you can take that those stretch numbers, but then once you reach the age of 18, you have 10 years to take it out. Exactly. And in California, the age of majority is 18 years old. So mm-hmm. say, for example, a child inherits an IRA at age 10. Yeah. Um, that 10-year rule doesn't apply to them right away. What the IRS says is for the next eight years, the child takes out a, a smaller required distribution amount, and as ter- soon as they turn 18... Then over the course of the next 10 years, they'd have to distribute the rest of it. Got it. Yeah. And so when we were talking earlier about some things were like, yay, and some things were like, boo, this is a boo. <laughs> and more than likely, this was used to help pay for delaying our required minimum distribution starting. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. And so some, some tax planning, if you are someone... And one thing to note, if, you, if you've already inherited an IRA that wasn't your spouse's and you did that in 2019 or before, the rules still are the same. Yeah. You can still continue to use a stretch IRA provision. You don't have to withdraw that full amount in the first 10 years. But if you inherit something in 2020 or beyond, you need to be smart about when you take that. You know, Let's say that you're 55 years old and you're going to retire in five years. Mm. Well, if you inherit a, a, a parent's IRA you might want to take, wait until you're six to start distributing it when you're mm-hmm. in a lower tax bracket if you're no longer working. Yeah. Or vice versa, if you, have, if you inherit it and you're not working for whatever reason or you have very low income, you anticipate that it's going to go up, you might want to take more of the IRA you inherited in that year. Mm-hmm. So you have the full 10 years and you want to look at that window and be smart about when is the best time to take the required distribution that must come out. Yeah, it, this definitely didn't make things simpler. There's no doubt about that. It made it more complex for planning purposes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, you know, another thing that um, that was added is there used to be a rule that once you were uh, once you reached the age 70 and a half, you were no longer allowed to make contributions to an IRA account, mm-hmm. an individual retirement account. Yeah. And that's the account where you could put $6,000 in and there's like a $1,000 catch up. 7000 if you're over 50. Yeah. Yeah. And the, that rule is now done. So there's no age limit on that. If you are 70 and a half or older, you can now continue contributing to an IRA. And that's just because people are living longer. People mm-hmm. are working longer. And again, the SECURE Act stands for setting every community up for retirement enhancement. Mm-hmm. One way that you can help enhance retirement is by allowing those contributions to continue if people are continuing to work longer and live longer. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So that that was a benefit that I was happy to see. Happy to see the RMD changes. Happy to see the IRA contributions. Not so happy to see the the non spouse the stretch IRA go away. Mm-hmm. Um, what else was in the act? So those those were a lot of the changes around IRAs and required distributions. Um, but there were a lot of changes, or a decent number of changes for small business retirement plans. Mm. So small business being as defined here, a business with a hundred employees or fewer. Uh huh. And to incentivize more businesses to offer 401k plans, because those are just a great way for people to save for their retirement, 
the, the IRS has now given tax credits to incentivize business owners to set up qualified retirement plans, which yeah. can be a 401k, a 403b, SEP IRA, simple IRA, things of that nature for their employees. Nice. And to do that, uh, a business owner can get up to a $5,000 tax credit for up to three years in a row if they set up a retirement plan. Mm-hmm. There's kind of a formula that dictates how much of that credit they'll get. But in general, it's going to be somewhere between $500 and $5,000 as a tax credit right. that an employer can get for setting up a plan. And the quick math for any of you small business owners, it's about $250 per non-highly compensated employee. So if you have 40 employees working for you and you're the only one who's making all the like, big money, you can get a $5,000 tax credit. Yeah, for three years, which really helps to offset the cost of the plan or employee contributions. Um, and again, it's just another way to incentivize That's employers great. to offer this. But wait, there's more. There is more. Uh, in addition to that, it's not in, in order to keep business owners just from having a 401k plan, they also want to incentivize people to participate. Yeah. And too often, I think we see this where people maybe have a 401k, but they never get around to enrolling, which means they could go years and years without actually participating, even though it's offered. Yeah. You don't see it a ton, but it, it happens. And so the IRS is saying, in addition to the credit for setting up a business or a retirement plan, business owners can also get up to a $500 tax credit if they add an auto-enrollment provision. Mm -hmm. An auto-enrollment just means that by default, if a new employee joins the company, they automatically get enrolled in the plan and begin contributing some amount. So it's just a way to get people in. So, I mean, honestly, if, if if you can afford to do it in your business and you care for your employees and your employees are more than a number to you, auto enrollment is the way to go. Mm-hmm. If you're going to have a plan, mm-hmm. um, it actually, uh, who is it? Is it uh, Richard Thaler won the Nobel prize for um, this concept of auto, just simple auto, the concept mm-hmm. of getting, there's a difference, the between, there's a difference between knowing and doing. Mm-hmm. And if you can get people to automatically do something, they're more likely to do it than to opt out of it. Yeah. Right? So so just simply having the auto enrollment, getting them to enroll, getting to have an escalation in a 401k so every time they get a pay raise, their little bit's going up as well. It just makes it so they end up being in a better place. Yeah. Well, you look at where do people build the majority of their wealth outside of maybe their primary residence, a lot of it's in their 401k. Absolutely. And the sooner you can get people enrolled and the more you can get people to contribute, the better. So this just incentivizes that to happen even more. Love it. Um, one other addition to that is in the past, it was easy to exclude part-time employees. So business owners, they were able to create these 401k plans. And if someone was considered a part-time employee, they could exclude that part-time employee. It's now uh, now part-time employees are eligible to participate. If they've hit three years or longer with an employer, they are automatically eligible. Cool. Now, the employer can choose to make them eligible sooner than that, but mm-hmm. they're not allowed to exclude them long-term. So that was just a way to benefit more people. Awesome. There was another another bit for small business plans as well. It's not specifically for these benefits of setting one up specifically, but it came back to uh, multiple employer retirement plans. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. To um, incentivize businesses to set up retirement plans, especially in the past, even today, but I think it's getting better, it can be very costly and cumbersome to set up a, a retirement plan or a 401k. So the IRS said, or the Department of Labor said, instead of each business setting up their own retirement plan, you kind of all participate in one together to share the cost, to share some of the expenses. And that was great in concept. But if one of these participating businesses 
blew it, if they kind of violated some rule or if yep. they did something wrong, it ruined it for every business participating. Yeah. So now that's not the case. It now, would be like one kid in class not following the rules and everyone gets punished. Yeah, one bad apple ruins it for everyone. When like only Bobby should be losing choice time. Stinking Bobby ruined it for the classroom. Right. And that's not happening anymore. So really cool that um, that they're changing the code so that it's Bobby can get lose his five minutes of choice time, but everyone else can still have theirs. They still get their And recess, it still costs yeah. everyone less. <laughs> and everyone gets to operate. It should, hopefully that brings down costs of running plans. Mm-hmm. That'd mm-hmm. be great. Yeah, yeah. Um, other provisions, your favorite, right, Scott, is the uh, oh. now annuities can be added to every plan. It's almost easier. like there were some lobbyists walking <laughs> around Washington with this. Yeah. So it, it is now the fiduciary duty for employers setting up 401k plans. It is a lot easier for them to add um, a kind of a qualified annuity or fixed annuity option for people in their 401ks. And people might look at this and say, oh, that's great. When I'm done working, I can convert my balance into an annuity, live on that income forever. But it's not always such a great thing. Um, no. It can be expensive. It can kind of rob you of some of the some of the gains, some of the extra growth that you could have had. Um, so it's not necessarily the best thing. Well, let's just talk about this big picture. The place where I see I'm going to be skeptical for a long time about annuities being in 401k plans for a couple of reasons. The first one being that anytime I see, um, well, not anytime, most times I see a 403B from a teacher, do you know what it is? It's an annuity. Almost every time. Yeah, it's awful. They get sold an annuity on fear about what they can, how they can build it and what they can do relative to just simply investing in indexes and letting it grow. When you have such a long period of time to let assets grow... I don't understand why you would want to buy an annuity product. Mm -hmm. I struggle with that Mm -hmm. because an annuity product for it to work, if you're sitting right there and I'm the annuity company, James, and you want to give me $100,000 to invest for you, Mm -hmm. I will happily guarantee you some percentage rate of return, 3 4%. The only way I can do that is knowing that over the long run, I can make more than that. Right. So you're trading away your higher return to get a guaranteed lower return. Mm -hmm. It's the way annuities work. Mm -hmm. Now, there's reasons to have those sometimes, but typically doesn't make sense to have the majority of your money in those. So I'm I'm not a huge fan of that. Um, Who is it? Anthony uh, uh, Iola. Uh, I think Isola. I say his last name wrong. He's over at Ritholtz Wealth. Uh. He's like all about this. His his, uh, handle on Twitter is uh, a teach moment. And he's all about he's he always gets up in flames about seeing the annuity stories yeah. in four hundred three bs, and I'm scared that those are going to come to four hundred one ks. I really don't want them to. Mm-hmm. So just be buyer beware when it comes to annuities in four hundred one ks. Yeah, you might see a new option in your plan. Doesn't mean it's a, a good thing. So right. Talk with your planner. Talk with someone before deciding to invest. In, air quotes invest in that yeah i mean it's like it's like active funds versus um index funds right like nine times out of ten just choosing the index you're going to be better off Mm -hmm. right so just make your own choices but be mindful of them right right so that's a provision um not the one we're the biggest fan of but it exists now uh another quick provision if 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 you're looking to adopt you can now take a penalty free five thousand dollar withdrawal from a 401k for qualified adoption costs so that just helps to offset the expenses which can be very very high yeah um so just kind of a miscellaneous provision that was added to that 
Yeah. And then there there were some some decent changes to how you could pay for college. Okay. Do you want to go through those? Yeah, you want, absolutely. You want me to go through yeah, those? Yeah, go on, um, Why don't we go through the – you go through the – so the first one was – Well, popcorn read this one. Yeah. Um, qualified higher education expenses now include apprenticeship programs, which I love. Yeah. Because not everyone needs to go to college. You know, we need we need skilled labor. We need electricians and plumbers and all types of um, jobs that can be filled through apprenticeship programs. So I think that's amazing. Yeah, agreed. Because people are always like, "Oh, I want to save my five twenty nine plan," but those are restricted to qualified educational costs. Right, and so it, it also yeah, it'll open up the ability for people. It it just makes a more expansive universe for education, which mm-hmm. is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Go Congress. Agreed on that one. Like that that's included. Uh, the next one is in the past, a uh, student loan repayment didn't count as qualified education expense. Mm. So if you had a 529 plan or an ESA, an educational savings account, those could pay for things like tuition or books or room and board, uh, but you couldn't use it to pay back a student loan. Yeah. Now there is uh, the option that you can withdraw up to, fi- to $10,000 from a 529 plan uh, to pay for a student loan. Awesome. So you can't pay the entire amount off if you took out more than 10000 in loans, but you can pay a portion. That's a pretty sweet deal. Um, for parents who are listening, if you have a 529 account, you can, you know, kids could be using their eligible amount of loans while they're in school. So they're on the hook, feeling the pressure. And then you can relieve them of that pressure with the 529 account <laughs> at the end. Up to 10000 of pressure. Up to $10,000 of pressure. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure it's, when you're it's young. It's pressure, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, interesting planning opportunity perhaps too then mm-hmm. for people who have loans, mm-hmm. who have cash flow, potentially. Yeah. You see where I'm going with that? Depending on the state you live in. Yeah. If you uh, if you live in a state that gives you a tax deduction for making mm-hmm. a 529 plan contribution, well, if you're, if you're graduated and you're paying off student loans and you live in one of these states, well, instead of just paying your student loan directly, you could take your income, save it to a 529 plan, get the state tax deduction. It's not federally tax deductible, but potentially right. state tax deduction. And then immediately pull that money out and pay off your student loans. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see like what the real, because you know, that's one of those things where it's going to be, is the squeeze worth the juice? Mm-hmm. Right? Like if you're in a low tax bracket state and you really just get a, a, a little sliver of your, your tax bill reduced. Mm-hmm. If it's like 30 bucks, it may not be worthwhile. Yeah. If it's yeah. 500 bucks, it might be worthwhile. Yeah, definitely. So I think, I think it's going to be a case-by-case basis. And then also, are states going to wise up to that? Mm-hmm. And are they going to come back and say like, no, 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 you don't, you don't, get, to, you don't get to do that. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see what, what states do with that. Yeah, this is new legislation, and we were talking about before this, that there's always kind of guidance that's issued after the fact. Absolutely. Uh, big new laws released, and then people identify all these planning opportunities. Some of them turn out to be legitimate, and sometimes the IRS comes back and said, actually, can't do it in this case. So yeah, we'll see what happens. That's but. a great reminder on this. Like, Make sure that you, you know, bring up to your, your accountant, to your advisor, you know, or just keep reading up on it about the SECURE Act. Um, language about the interpretation of this from the IRS will come out eventually. Mm-hmm. When the most, when the big tax changes happened in 2018, um, we were all speculating about what it all meant because mm-hmm. we had these things like qualified business income deductions and how is that going to work and how is that going to work with an S corp or how is that going to work with a sole proprietorship and we were all coming up with all these amazing planning opportunities and then the IRS told us what was allowed. <laughs> 
right? So squash so, it. So just uh, take take what we're this. We wanted to let you know what happened. Take don't. It's not written in stone yet because mm-hmm. there's still re- more regulation and more insight to come. I'm sure. Another thing that this had me thinking about as we were talking through this was a lot of people, a lot of families, especially in Southern California, probably have children's trusts inside of their trusts, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, if, if James is my kid right now, hi, James. Hey, Dad. Uh, I only have, <laughs> Lucas just turned eight, but we'll pretend you're, you're my son for a second. Uh, so, I don't want you to have control of, of the assets if I die until you reach age 25, 30, and 35, right? I'm going to give you a third when you're 25, and then another half of what's left at 30 and the rest at 35. And I'm just going to make sure that um, required minimum distributions happen while inside the children's trust that it passes to you and have all the language that's doing that. Well, now we just changed what happens with required minimum distributions for non-spouse inheritance. Mm -hmm. So I don't even, I don't know that the estate planners necessarily know what the right answer is yet because this just hit them right over the holidays. They probably weren't thinking about it yet, but I know they will be. So um, good thing to look out for as well. Just double check with your estate planning attorney that the language inside your estate is working properly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, good reminder. This just goes to show that we really don't know anything. We're just uh, (laughs) (laughs) most of this is set in stone. Some of it is up for interpretation that we'll see shortly, I would guess. Yeah, absolutely. And we don't have to know everything. We don't have to be a library. We just have to be librarians. That's right. right? So we have to know estate planning attorneys to talk to and tax guys to talk to. And we know what we know the lay of the land. And then we go figure out where the right solution is. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. One more, do, one more thing we do know is in addition to being able to take out 10000 from 529 plans now to pay off student loans, you can also do that with your 401k. Yeah. So in the past, if you took out money from your 401k to pay your student loan, there's a 10% penalty for doing so. Mm-hmm. There's not anymore. You can take up to 10000 That's a lifetime limit, not per year. Yeah. Um, does it make sense to do this? Uh, honestly, not a fan of this mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Because it's for retirement. Like, don't you Don't use it for... It's for your retirement. Look, Scott, I'm just a messenger. I'm just relaying the information, and uh, you need to stop attacking me. Sorry. <laughs> You're right. I don't think that's the best thing either, but that is, uh, that is a new provision that you yeah. can – you could do that if you wanted to. Um, probably doesn't make sense to do that a whole lot. Yeah. Um, those were the main changes, yeah? Uh, yeah. That's, uh, there was others, but I think these are the main ones that will affect most people. All right. Yeah. So until the next – setting every community up for retirement enhancement act happens right the secure act mm-hmm. that's what we've got the next one will be the secures act we'll just add some s to the end yeah. of this one yeah yeah 2.0 mm-hmm. awesome thanks scott thanks man Thank you for listening to episode number 32 of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. Once again, just wanted to say a very heartfelt thank you to all of our listeners. We just crossed our 10,000 unique downloads, and it was something that we could not have done without you. So thank you for being part of the journey. Thank you for listening. And if you're a new listener, not yet subscribed, please go ahead and do so. We release a new episode every Wednesday morning. By subscribing, you'll be notified as soon as a new episode is released. And if you've been listening for a while but have not yet done so, please leave us a review. Reviews help more people to find our show, and it would be great if you could leave us a review and tell us what you're thinking. If you have a question that you want us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website, and there'll be a section on that page where you can submit your own question that Scott and I will answer on a future episode. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.